If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we'll be looking at verses 13 through 21 as we continue in uh, Peter's first letter. Uh, If you're able, I'll ask you to stand with me as we read from this part of God's Word. Pay careful attention. This is God's Word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe what you have said about your word, that it is more precious than gold, even fine gold, that it is sweeter than honey, even the honey from the honeycomb. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to taste and to see uh, the goodness of your word, its beauty, its power. We pray that you would give us hope in it and help us to endure by faith with joy in the Lord Jesus, who is our strength. Help us to see him, to believe him, and to live for him. For we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, 1 Peter is a letter about hope, by and large. We all, we all live by some hope. Some of us are secure in a certain hope, the hope of the gospel, the hope of the cross and resurrection of Jesus for us. Still others may be searching, looking for hope somewhere, uh, trying to find something that they can attach their lives to that will be secure, that will be steady, that will give them hope. Whatever it is, the practical reality is that our hope uh, drives and shapes our lives. Jesus understood this. Uh, He commended those who put their hope in him. Uh, against all odds, who hoped against hope, if you will. Uh, you remember the story of the woman who had the bleeding disorder that Luke tells us about in his gospel. For 12 years, this woman had been plagued uh, with this disease. And for 12 years, she had desperately looked for someone or something that could heal her, that could put an end to this suffering and all, and all of the repercussions of it that she lived with. She had spent all of her resources, exhausted all of the options that she had. And for what? For hope. And yet none of those things that she had found 
were satisfying. None of them healed her from this disease. And so finally, she came to Jesus. And in faith, which is connected to hope, it's hope in the present tense, if you will. In faith, she gathered with the crowd that was pressing in around Jesus as he was on his way to minister to another need, the daughter of Jairus who had died. In faith, as she's pressing in with this crowd around Jesus, she thinks to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I know I will be healed. And so she does. Uh, In faith, she reaches out. She touches the hem of his robe, and immediately she's, she's healed. And Christ commends her before everyone else. He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. She was healed. Her hope in Christ led her to action, a daring act of faith even. In this letter, Peter is reminding us that, that we are much like that woman in a sense. Uh, he doesn't say that. I'm, I'm saying that. That we're people who are called to be shaped by hope. And we're people who have hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a hope that is kept for us in heaven. We have an imperishable inheritance that can never fade. And it's that hope that is meant to sustain us, to even give us joy in the midst of life's trials, the refining of our faith so that it would be uh, further refined and proven like precious gold. And we're called here to draw upon that hope that we have so that we can endure, so that we can live faithfully. In other words, we have hope. How do we act on that? How do we live out that hope? How do we draw on that hope as we follow Jesus in this life? And what does it look like? Peter highlights uh, four things for us this morning to help us live in the light of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We all need hope. Christ has given us hope. How do we live out that hope? And we'll look at four things. Uh, You have three of them on your outline, so I'll just tell you the the fourth one first. He highlights for us the certainty of our hope, the certainty of our hope. And he shows us how that hope is meant to be informed by truth. Our lives uh, of hope are meant to be informed by truth. That a life of hope is concerned with holiness. It's concerned with holiness. And a life of hope is Christ-centered. It's a Christ-centered life. Let's look first at the certainty of our hope. Notice in verse 13, Peter's drawing a conclusion. uh, And he gives us a command. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he telling us about hope in this command to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Christ returns? He's telling us that we can put all of our eggs in this basket. We often give advice to people who are kind of looking at the options laid out before them in life. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because what happens when that basket drops? All your eggs are broken. And so we always are hedging our bets, so to speak, in life trying to figure out what's the best way to go. Don't put all your money in one place. Diversify. Make sure it's covered by insurance and all these things. But Peter is telling us that we have a hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is so certain, so secure, so trustworthy that you can put your whole life on it. 
and never be disappointed. And isn't this the message of the whole of Scripture? Even the Psalms remind us that those who look to the Lord, their faces are radiant, reflecting the glory of God's grace. And David tells us in the Psalms, those who put their hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. Lots of things will let you down. You've all experienced that. We experience that probably on a daily basis. We expect one thing, something else happens. We're frustrated, we're disappointed, even heartbroken sometimes. And Peter is reminding us here that there is a certainty in the hope that we have in the gospel. That this is a a hope that we can lay our entire lives on and we'll never be disappointed, we'll never be let down. We might not always understand We might not always see clearly how this hope is being sustained and how the Lord is at work, but we can trust him 100% without fail, without reservations. And so he calls us, set your hope fully, completely, wholly, uh, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice that this is a future grace he's talking about. We're always, if, if we're hoping, we're waiting, right? We're living in between the times of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And, and, but those two things are intimately connected and can't be separated, though they are divided by time. They're not separated because it's all the work of Jesus, And because of his cross and his resurrection, we have a guarantee that what he has said he will do, he will in fact do. And so we've received grace in the past. Peter's reminded us of that as he, in the last verses where he talked about the grace, the good news that was preached to you and the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace embodied in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We've received that gift of grace in Christ. And Peter's reminding us, That past grace is the certainty of future grace, and you can set your hope fully. It is a certain hope, and therefore don't be divided in your hope. Don't put some of your eggs in Jesus' basket and some of your eggs in your own basket or in some, some other source of strength and trust and hope. Put it all on Jesus. He can carry it. He can carry the weight while nothing else can. Peter's reminding us that this is a certain hope. Now, why do they need to remember this? Why does Peter feel the need to remind them and to command them even? Set your hope fully on this grace. Well, remember what they were facing, these these folks, these believers who were reading Peter's letter for the first time. He calls them elect exiles. They've been scattered throughout the eastern part of the Roman Empire, sent out likely from Rome, where they were living, into these kind of the, the farthest parts of the Roman Empire at this point. They've been cast out, they're exiles, and many of them are suffering for the sake of their faith in the Lord Jesus. They're bearing up under pressures from political groups, from just neighbors even. They're suffering, and Peter's trying to encourage them to endure, and so he's reminding them in the midst of the suffering, don't lose sight of hope. You can certainly trust in the hope that God has given you in Jesus and the grace that will be revealed. Hold on to hope even in the midst of your suffering. There's a certainty of this hope so that we can trust what God has said. Not only is there certainty, but Peter says that a life of hope uh, is informed by truth. It's informed by truth. I get get this from uh, a few places. Notice verse 13 particularly. 
There's an emphasis on the mind, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Uh, and then even in verse 14, he reminds them of their former lack of truth, their lack of knowledge, their ignorance. And then in verse 18, he reminds them of what they know, that they were ransomed with precious blood, the blood of Jesus. Our lives are meant to be informed by truth, by, by knowledge, by wisdom, by the truth of God's promises and the truth of God's word. And we probably need this perhaps even more than Peter's first readers, because we live in a time where we are saturated with knowledge, or information at least. I don't know if you can call it all knowledge. We're saturated 24 hours a day, seven days a week, information just being pumped at us all the time. Uh, and you can't, you turn the TV off, but then your phones are dinging with the news, or whatever, whatever you've got notifications set up. We're being inundated with information. And it's all calling for something, isn't it? It's all calling for some commitment. I'm going to believe this, or I'm going to believe that. And whatever I read, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take in, I'm going to accept it as truth. And yet Christians are always called to be a people who are sober-minded, who are not uh, intoxicated with all information that comes at them, but who are able in wisdom to discern between what's true and what's, what's not true, uh, to be able to take the good and, and sift out what's, what's not good. We're called to be informed in our minds with truth. We live in a time where we have lots of knowledge and very little wisdom, which means there's lots of opportunities to be led astray, lots of opportunities to believe things that are false. And if you're a person like Peter's first audience who's suffering for your faith, you need to be prepared to hold on to the truth, to believe it and not be led astray by things that are not true. Peter gets at this with this uh, idiom in, the, in verse 13, preparing your minds for action. It's literally gird up the loins of your mind. Don't you love Hebrew idioms? They're so vivid. <laughs> uh, the idea here, the picture here is of uh, a man who would typically be wearing a robe. It's kind of a... a the dress of the day, the, the normal dress of the day, and he'd have a rope, a belt around his waist, and he could kind of go about his normal actions with the robe flowing uh, as, as normal. But if he was going to run, if he was going to fight, if he was going to be prepared for some swift action, what would he do? He'd take his robe up, and he'd tuck it into his belt, and then he could move a little faster. He had a little more flexibility. Uh, this We see this in the Exodus where God's people are to be ready to leave at any moment after the Passover meal. He says, gird up, gird yourselves up, be ready to leave in haste when the time comes. Peter's calling us to be prepared, to know the truth so intimately, so deeply, that not only are we able to avoid things that are false, but that we're always prepared to act on truth. See, this is not just simply about knowing things and how many books have you read and how many articles have you read and how many how many times have you uh you know read this christian book or that christian book it's not just about some intellectual endeavor of gathering more and more information the mind shapes our conduct what we believe what we think how we think about the world impacts our lives shapes our practice you see in scripture these things are always joined together 
what we believe and, and how we live. If you believe wrong things, guess what? It's going to often lead to living in wrong ways. And sometimes it goes the other way as well. If we live in wrong ways, sometimes we distort what's true in order to justify how we're living. Peter's saying, be prepared. Be sober-minded. Uh, don't be credulous. Don't, don't believe that gullible was written on the ceiling. Uh, everybody looked up, did you? Don't accept everything that comes your way, but test it. Guard your mind. Be prepared and live a life informed by truth, particularly the truth of God's promises revealed and confirmed in Jesus Christ, who himself is the truth. We're called to be prepared in our minds, living according to the knowledge that God has revealed in his word and informed by truth. Not only are we to be informed by truth, but Peter lays quite a bit of emphasis here on lives that are concerned with holiness, lives that are concerned with holiness. He spends a little bit of time on this, and really in, any command that he gives in the letter is, is aimed in this direction, that we would be holy. I'll say three things about this holiness that he calls us to. You see it in verse 15 as the, as the contrast uh, to former ignorance. He says, be holy uh, in all of your conduct. So three things about the holiness that God calls us to. First, it's comprehensive. It's comprehensive. A life of hope is concerned with comprehensive holiness. Notice verse 15. He says, you also be holy in all your conduct, in all your conduct. There's no area of our lives that we get to claim for ourselves as if it doesn't belong to Jesus. We're called to submit all of life, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all to the glory of God. Uh, it's perhaps a bit cliche now, but I think it's still a powerful illustration of this. You all will remember the little booklet, My Heart, Christ Home. John Hunter loved this. If you all remember John, I know many of you do. Uh, he loved this little booklet, and it tells the story of a man who's, who's become a Christian, and it, it uses the illustration of a home to kind of uh, show us how all of life ought to be given to the Lord. And the man lets Jesus into his home, and, and he's uh, letting Jesus into all the rooms of his home, except he's got this one closet that's locked. And Jesus, in the story, walks by the closet and says, well, what's in there? Says, oh, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to know what's in there, or I'm not going to let you into that room. And Jesus patiently, you know, shows up every day and asks about the locked closet, and the man continues to say, you know, that's, that's not for you. Uh, you. You don't belong in there, or I'm not going to let you in. And eventually, um, the door to the closet is open. I can't remember if Jesus opens the door, if the man opens the door. It doesn't matter. Jesus opens this one door in the house that's been locked up. This man has wanted to keep Jesus out of this particular part of his life for various reasons. He opens the door. Christ begins to clean out what's in the closet. And it's a way of saying all of life belongs to Jesus. We're not to compartmentalize things. You, know, you can have this, you can have that, but this is for me. And yet we're all, we're all given to that. I'll, I'll give you some, but not all. And the, the gospel reminds us, Christ gave all. J Jesus loved us and gave himself, his whole self, 
out of love for you and, and calls for us to respond in that same kind of wholehearted submission to him, to follow him in all of life. It's comprehensive in all your conduct. There should be no area of our lives where we say this is off limits to Jesus. I will live for myself here. All of life is meant to be for him, to conform uh, to his standard. It's comprehensive. It's also nonconformist. It's nonconformist. Notice verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Uh, They lived in a time that was very much driven by passion. Uh, What do I want? That's what I will do. And we're no different uh, today. Uh, Most decisions of what people do are driven by passions, desire. What do I want? And whether that's shaped by the scriptures or not is almost irrelevant for the most part. And Peter's reminding them, that's what you were. Now you're something else. And your life is to no longer conform to those former passions that were largely rooted in ignorance. We're to be non-conformist. Maybe let's think about it this way. If, If you're living in a way, in such a way, that the rest of the world around you, not not, not the church, but the, the rest of the world around you has zero problem with how you're living, that ought to raise some red flags in your life. If you're conforming to the world around you where you don't stick out like a sore thumb or a nail that needs to be popped down uh, by a hammer, then you're probably conforming to the standards of the world around you. The Christians in the first century stood out in major ways. Most historians will tell you that there were three ways in particular that the early church stood out in their Roman culture. One was their ability to endure persecution, which Peter's talking about in this letter. Second was their love and concern for the poor. They cared for the needy and the outcast, whether they were Christians or not. The, Christ, the believers in the first century cared for the poor, uh, even the pagan poor. And third, they were marked by a particular sexual ethic that was widely divergent from the rest of the culture around them. They lived in a world where anything goes, okay? And, and most of them had come out of that type of culture where anything goes. And they were called to live their whole lives, including that area of sexuality, for the Lord Jesus. And they stood out for it, which led to their persecution, which also attracted the poor whom they loved and cared for. If, if you want to obey this today... There's lots of areas you can do that. Probably the biggest area you can obey this command of not being conformed but being holy in all of your conduct. Biggest area that we face today is in that area of human sexuality. How many of us in our lives are simply going with the flow, are simply conforming to the world around us, and sexual ethics are just kind of dropping well below what Christ calls us to in response to his gospel? Paul tells us in Ephesians that there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality among God's people. Not even a hint. The door's not even cracked on that so that somebody could stick their foot in and start to talk about it. 
God's people are called to be pure in all of life, holy, set apart unto him, living in a way that stands out and goes against the flow. Peter's reminding them that this is what they're called to and that it will be difficult. Because you know what happens to the, the nail that's still sticking up. It gets hammered down. And yet Christ has given us a hope that is certain, a hope that's meant to be informed by truth impacting our lives as he calls us to nonconformist holiness. But it's also a relational holiness. I hope you caught this. In verse 14, Peter calls them children. And then in verse 17, he reminds them that God is their father. Like father, like son. The one who has called us is holy. And we're meant to bear a family resemblance to the one who has redeemed us and brought us into his family. Some of you experience this just in normal ways. Maybe you've got children who look like you. And, and when you show up, all of a sudden people see you and they're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know whose dad you are. I know whose mom you are, or vice versa if you're the, the child. There's a family resemblance. Just physically, you look like uh, your family. Peter's calling us here to remember that there's meant to be a family resemblance in, in our character uh, and in the ways that we live. And he quotes here from Leviticus where God says to his people, you are to be holy as I am holy. And in Leviticus, that involved a whole lot of ritual acts that set God's people apart under the old covenant, all kinds of things. You can read through it uh, in the book of Leviticus and see it. But Peter doesn't apply those specific ritual laws to us today. Rather, he says, your purity, your holiness, your being set apart for God is meant to be an issue of the heart that is expressed in your lives, set apart, not conforming to the world around you, but seeking to live according to God's character as it's revealed in his word. It's relational. Several years ago, we had a, a couple who had joined the church uh, here, and, uh, and, and they've, they've moved on to a, a different church in another area. But in listening to their testimonies, this, uh, the husband said he, he met his wife. They were both in Belgium uh, studying at a school there, and she was a Christian. He was not at the time that they met, and he was very much kind of arguing against uh, her faith, but, but he, he began to fall in love with, with her and, and wanted to spend all this time with her, even though he knew that their belief systems were pretty different. And she continued to walk faithfully with the Lord, continued to testify to her faith and her trust in the Lord Jesus. And at one point, uh, this, this young man finally realized uh, what he was seeing in this young lady was the Holy Spirit at work in her. He was seeing Christ in her. And, and this, he was, he's an interesting guy, so this, this flow of thought matches him. But he, he thought to himself, you know, if, if I love her and what I'm seeing in her is Jesus, then, then maybe I love Jesus as well. And the Lord used that relationship to bring him to Christ. And he was converted, and they both loved, loved the Lord. That's the kind of family resemblance Peter is talking about here. When, when the rest of the world looks at your life, what do they see? They see Fox News? They see CNN? Or do they see Jesus? Right? Those are the dividing lines at this point, whatever is going on around us. I don't care which one you watch or anything. 
we want to follow Jesus. And we want our lives to reflect him so that others may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Our holiness is meant to be comprehensive, nonconformist, relational. He has freed you from sin. He's ransomed you. He has paid the price. He's purchased you and made you his own. Remember whose you are and live in a way that reflects his calling in your life, that he is your father and Christ is your elder brother. Our hope is a certain hope. Our lives, therefore, are meant to be informed by truth, being prepared, girding up the loins of our minds. And our lives are meant to be shaped by holiness, desiring to live in a way that honors God, even when it costs us, and perhaps especially when it costs us. Now, you might be hearing all of this and thinking, that's a lot to carry, Dave. You're just kind of laying it all on us. Here's some stones. Let me put them on your back, right? This feels like a big burden. I got to know all the right things. Got to believe all the right things. I got to live differently. I got to stick out. Come on. And, and you might be justified in feeling that way if, if Peter was just laying these things on you as a burden for you to carry out by your own strength, for you to say, all right, I'm going to know all the things I'm supposed to know. Okay, I'm going to live the way that I'm supposed to live, and I'm going to do it by my strength, by my effort. I'm going to make the cut. But you see, the Christian life is not about your being good enough to make the cut. The Christian life is not that you come to Jesus and then the rest is up to you. It's not, that's not how it works. All of life is response to grace and in reliance upon grace. And we see that in the fact that Peter points out a life of hope is Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered. He begins and ends with hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He ends with it saying your faith and hope are in God, but he also begins and ends with Christ because faith and hope are bound up with the work of Christ. And our lives are meant to be Christ-centered. Notice it's the grace brought to us the revelation of Jesus Christ, God's unmerited, freely given love and favor secured for you in the cross where Jesus died for you, gave his life in your place to cancel the debt of sin held against you so that you could be washed clean, set apart, called holy, and therefore enabled to live in a holy way. He forgives all your sins by his grace. Not only that, he gives you righteousness. He doesn't tell you to work for it, to earn it. He says, another has earned it for you. Christ has earned righteousness to give to you as his people, to cover you with it like a seamless garment so that you can be acceptable before the Father because of what Jesus has done in your place. And notice he ends with this. The precious blood of Christ, that's what the Father gave to redeem you. Not silver or gold, things that perish, but an imperishable, precious blood of infinite value and worth. He gave for you to make you his own. Foreknown before the foundation of the world, made manifest in the last times for your sake, raised 
from the dead and given glory. In other words, Peter is telling us if we want to live a life that is characterized by hope, then we stick close to Jesus. We, we long to know him, to grow in our knowledge of who Jesus is, to walk with him by faith. Though we don't see him, he says, we still love him. And though we have not seen him, we believe in him and we seek to live lives as followers of Christ. It's not through moral efforts, but through faith and through grace received by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a grace that will be revealed in the future, but it's a grace that's already been given. Part two is coming. It's on the way, and it's certain because Christ has paid a precious price to make you his own. As we come to the table this morning, uh, we come to the table that Christ has set for us. And it's here that we're reminded that we have a certain hope. Christ gave his life, his body, his blood for you and invites you to find strength and endurance through faith in him. He will give it. He will not disappoint. He will not fail. He is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And so we come to the table in faith and in gratitude to find that endurance and to be built up in our hope based on what Christ has done for us. So as we, as we come and then as we go, May we go as a people shaped by hope, a certain hope, a hope that's informed by truth, a hope that's concerned with holiness in all of life as obedient children of our Heavenly Father, and a hope that is anchored indelibly, without fail, in the work of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Would you pray for me? Pray with me and pray for me too. Let's pray together now.